We are Conversations of Color. Our guest speaker, our guest Andre Fills, you want to introduce yourself a little bit? Um, so this is the space I live in, uh, voter protection, um, and rights policy, uh, and um, just I'm happy to have a discussion and hopefully provide some useful information um, to the folks I've been in this space for quite some time now. Um, the legislative body, both well in New York and Louisiana, now in Georgia, um, spent a little bit of time working with Congress. Um, got my start working with the Working Families Party um, in Brooklyn. So, yeah, this is <laughs> this is what I do. Um, and yeah, I'm just happy to be here. Hey, thanks, y'all. Thank you, Andre. And Ramon is our second special guest that we have on. Ramon, can you please introduce yourself as well? Sure. Uh, hey, everyone. Ramon here. Um, thank you again for the invite on this special topic, uh, especially now with elections coming up soon. Um, it's perfect time to get this out there so folks know, uh, you know, to pay attention to these things. But yeah. Uh, again, Ramon, I'm actually state committee man for the 87th Assembly District here in the Bronx, New York. Uh, it's an elected position, uh, working within the Democratic Party of New York State. Uh, and I also work for Congress. I work for Congressman Jose Serrano. I'm his deputy director here in the district, making sure that, you know, when he's in Washington, the work is getting done here in the district and that folks have, um, you know, information and where to go to and how do we figure out their, uh, uh, you know, solutions to the problems um, here. And so, you know, been working in Congress for six years. He's retiring. Uh, so now I have to move on somewhere. Um, but yeah, just been trying to uh, make make uh, folks know that, you know, the congressman's here, that we have resources and how do we get to them? But in terms of voter protection, you know, how do we, um, as folks working in government, do our job or step up to kind of uh, help in this situation? Thank you guys so much. Um, it's really great to have you on, you know, this episode with your expertise in, in this topic. And so I'll pass it over to you, Quentin. Thanks. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad it's have everyone. I know how we've usually started our episode is kind of put a daily second. Just want to see how everyone. Yeah. So uh, this week has been an interesting week, but mostly productive. Um, this is, you know, we're right now I'm in October, so I'm, I work in higher education. So we're in a thick of, um, you know, providing a ton of events to get students interested in, and um, made aware of institutions that's, uh, that we have uh, available to them. Um, so just kind of like, you know, model it, um, push it through the week and hopefully it gets to this Thanksgiving and I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> So for me, it's kind of been a really busy week, but also a really relaxing weekend as well. Well, for me, my week has been very productive as well. Um, anytime it gets to the end of the, of the month, you know, with my field notes and a lot of things that we put in. So that's been a lot. Seems like we've definitely had a, a big week, uh, a, a long weekends and long weeks for us ahead of us. Uh, for our guests, you know, I know that y'all kind of work in this space and I election day, uh, you know, approaches. Um, you know, what, 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 you know, how y'all feeling? How y'all do, dealing with day to day, you know, leading up to election day? Well, here in Georgia, um, I'm based in Atlanta. So, um, early votes started, um, 
last week. Um, excuse me, the week before last. So we're in uh, about to approach week three um, of early voting. There's actually voting going on today, um, Sunday voting, mandatory Sunday voting here in Georgia. And um, I'm not going to lie, it's been rough, man. We um, literally are the voter protection arm um, for all 159 counties in Georgia, but we also have 20 other, excuse me, 19 other states that we're in. Um, five of which are under <laughs> my auspices and um, it, it can be very, very uh, long. Days can be long, um, days can be rough, but I think, I don't think of it so much in terms of, oh, I'm tired. Um, it's more so of like, wow, you know, people are actually out here voting, but we also want to make sure that their votes count, that they feel confident and protected when they go to the polls. Um, so I'm actually feeling really good because we just got numbers back that show um, that we have already surpassed um, the 2016 early vote numbers by more than a million, um, more than a million. So people are really enthusiastic about this election and it's showing already. So. What's going on with you, Ramon? Yeah, man. So, uh, you know, like I said, my boss is actually retiring. So we've been sort of figuring out, uh, you know, how to clone on our office while this whole politics thing is going on. Because, like, I was just out in PA yesterday, door knocking. You know, it's a it's a different world out there. Where we're door knocking, trying to make sure that we're also safe because of COVID. Um, wearing our face masks and gloves. Uh, but making sure that people know that they have to go out and vote, you know. And so every vote counts. Uh, here in, in the Bronx, we started early voting. Uh, in New York City. So in the Bronx, we had a site, uh, the line went around and there were people there for three, four hours. Um, you know, we hoped that they wouldn't be there for three or four hours, but it just shows that there was a lot of people. Uh, I think we had about a hundred thousand people first day of early voting in New York City, uh, for a general election. And that was big numbers. Um, you know, I think people are out there. They want to vote. They want to, uh, you know, express their voices. And I think that, you know, it's just going to keep going up. Uh, I think. Today was pretty big as well, but we're excited. Um, we're also trying to make sure that the lines aren't so crazy and that there is some sort of social distancing because we also want people to be safe and, and feel like they can go out and vote. Um, but yeah, we've just been trying to focus on making sure that people know that, you know, this is going on. Play your part in democracy. Go out there and vote. Yeah, has everybody voted? I know I went on Saturday. It was the first day in California where polls were open and could go in person. So that's when I went. Uh, I'm actually going to go tomorrow with like my family. It's going to be like a family thing. Us five, you know, we're going to go out there, um, make the line. Hopefully it's not a long one, but make the line and, and cast our votes uh, for early voting. Yeah, um, I actually went on the first day of early vote um, two weeks ago. So uh, the, the Atlanta Hawks did um, a really good thing. They opened up uh, the State Farm Arena um, as a polling location. So it's going to be open up until Friday. So went there was in and out like 14 minutes. Um, it was a good experience. A lot of people who have been going there have been experiencing that as well. So it was cool. It was a good voting experience this year. Actually, haven't gotten a chance to vote yet, but I went into this weekend, um, you know, before early voting. Um, in the past, it's, just so, it's just so good to see. Uh, I passed by a few voting locations this weekend. Um, and seeing a long lines, you know, for early voting. It's really good to see that. Most, you know, uh, reminds me 
uh, when we were voting in 2009 for uh, Barack Obama. I mean, 2008 for Barack Obama, excuse me. Um, so I'm really, really excited about it, but I'm, I definitely have plans to go with my family this week as well. Um, I didn't get a chance to vote yet, but everyone around me has, so the pressure is definitely on. So I will say to vote this week. Trust me, I cannot hear the end of it if I don't. <laughs> I definitely took advantage of the early uh, yesterday, so into a polling place, it's dead. Things there, and there's so many locations that you can go to that people don't really realize. But they think that they're desert, they have to go to this designated spot. That's not that's not really the case. There's also so many options too. Um, if you can't make it to a polling place, please please send in your ballot through the mail. Um, so yeah, there's different options if you can't make it in person. Yeah, so I'm, I'm glad to hear, you know, everyone's out voting, planning to get, you know, get things popping because, you know, it's been a crazy year. And uh, I, I know this, this episode is focused on voter suppression. But before we kind of jump into that, I think it's really important that we understand the history of voting and how the history of voting for people of color. Because that wasn't always, it, it wasn't there for us. Like, point blank, simple. We wasn't allowed to. We, we were not educated. wasn't allowed to to to, to uh, cast our votes. And I think um, you know, shedding light on that, on that history and understanding it will empower people to to remember that it is important to vote. Um, Dre Ramon, do you guys? How do you guys feel about that? With the the history of, of the voting. So it's it's a very interesting history um, because we know this country was founded by land owning white men, right? Like the folks who, who who were rich, who had influence in society, who had power. And if we look at the original constitution, that's who that's who was given the vote. Um, black people were considered fifths of a person, right? Like for the purposes of, of like counting and census and whatnot, um, because slavery was the dominant um, form of the day. Um, and it wasn't really until 1824 where we started to see an expansion of the vote, right? So it went to land owning white men and then Andrew Jackson came along. It was like, oh, no, no, no. Like, all white men should be able to vote, right? So now you see, like, oh, we we're 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 racist, <laughs> we're we're prejudiced. We want to limit who can vote, but you know, let's let's add these folks too, right? Like, um, uh, to to be able to cast ballots, um, and then we don't really see any movement in voting until we get um to the reconstruction, the Civil War, the Civil War area and reconstruction, right? So. We have the 15th Amendment, which only allowed black men the right to vote. Right. So like we're still excluding people. So <laughs> white men can vote and say, oh, black men, y'all can vote now, too. But who's that leaving out? That's leaving out women. That's leaving out black black women sp- specifically as well. Right. But white women, too. Um, it's leaving out the indigenous population um, and anyone who, who wasn't a white person. Um, and we don't see any real changes to that. Um, until the 1900, excuse me, the, the early 1900s, right? So women get the right to vote in, um, 1920. So a hundred years ago, women got the right to vote. Now, this is still limiting because it's white women. 
And through legislative fiat, through different avenues, Black men who have received the right to vote in the Reconstruction era lose that right to vote over time because segregation. Um, we start to see all these voter suppression laws that, that come up on our books. And we don't, Black people aren't really allowed to vote for at least another century, right? Until the Voting Rights Act of 1965 is signed. So now there's an inclusion of uh, all white people and people of color, Black people. The, most people get confused that the Voting Rights Act was only for Black people, but this is for all people who are not white, right? So, but Black people were the ones who really like fought for it um, with allies. Um, so it's, it's very interesting how the Voting Rights Act was such a staple because it was, it was a landmark piece of legislation that really expanded the right to vote. But we still saw in the South how in some places in the North, because we don't want to just limit this to say this was just a Southern thing. There were Northern states, um, Midwestern states, um, even like Alaska was on a list of, of states that were um, really bad when it came to, to voter, voting rights. Um, and what happened was there was there was a really um, key provision of the Voting Rights, of 19, voting rights Act of 1965 that allowed the federal government to keep a check on the states, right? And I'm pretty sure we're going to talk about the Voting Rights Act of 1965 later, but there was a key provision of it that basically made sure that these states, that histories of voter suppression didn't continue to suppress the votes in their state. Um, so if they wanted to make changes to their voting laws, they had to get approval from the federal government to do so. And this was a big, this was a big thing, right? And not until 2013, did we see this right come under aggressive attack again? Now we're here, so that's sort of like a condensed history. <laughs> I try to like keep it real quick, but um, but yeah, it's very important to know that like in 1789, when the Constitution was written, only white men got that that right to vote, and you know it was piecemealed out. Like other people started getting the right over time. Which is really messed up, right? Um, but that is just how this country has operated since its inception. So it's pretty much a privilege, you know. It was, it was a privilege to vote, and that, that, and that was something that we didn't have, which is wild, you know. Ramon, what about you? Yeah, no, I mean, Andre. Yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. No, but um, look, people fought and died for the ability for us to, to vote, right? And everyone who was marginalized. And so as a Latino, right, like, I'm grateful for this. And like, now it's like, okay, we have the ability to vote and, and we don't vote. And that's something that's always frustrating to me as a, uh, I guess, as a young person involved in politics. Um, but yeah, just to the topic of voter suppression, like, it, you know, we have different forms of suppression and like the voter IDs and the Jim Crow laws and everything that they did to uh, not, you know, to, to encourage us not to vote. They just passed a law to do early voting. We were the 38th state to do early voting. So it isn't just a Southern thing, right? We never had that. And now that we're doing it and like, look, the numbers are showing, people are coming out. Um, and so I think that for us, it's like, okay, how do we keep pushing 
uh, um, the line so that to make sure that that we get rid of these tools that you know uh, marginalize folks to go out and vote um, and like the gerrymandering and you know poll tax and all these different things that they use. Um, how do we like stay uh, informed about it and how to fight against it? Um, so I think that's also important to just acknowledge. And that's sort of a, a form of attacks, right? That folks can't pay this. Uh, they're just trying to get back on their feet. And now uh, in order for them to vote, they have to pay um, to get on there. So yeah, I think that's one of the things that, you know, we can look at and like how uh, this country can be better at. But yeah, I'm sure there's a lot of different things that we can talk about. Yeah, Ramon, can you maybe expand a little bit on what gerrymandering is just for the audience members who might not know exactly what that term means? Yeah. So uh, gerrymandering um, basically is how folks in government um, make lines, right? That is to the benefit of one or the other party. Um, so you have folks who are drawing lines, uh, congressional lines, state lines, so that they encompass an area that will benefit them when it comes to elections. So we have a group of, uh, of folks who are doing these lines and they see that if they cut the lines a certain way, then it benefit their party more so than the other one. Ramon, it's, it's simply put, like, simply put, it's, it's a slide method that, like, state officials, like, may use to draw a district line so they can influence election results. And both parties do it. Um, essentially, state legislatures, they control the process of allocating people into voting district, so it's called districting. Um, so when you look at a map of, like, a congressional district in a state, you'll see the results of, like, their efforts. Um, I wish I had like a map that I could show right now to like give an example. But, is it, is it the oh, Chicago Seventh District? Uh, yeah. Yep. Chicago. There's also one in North Carolina that yeah. like goes from like Greensboro, which is in like northern North Carolina, all the way down to Charlotte, which is southern North yeah. Carolina. It's crazy. It's wild. Yeah. It's so, but like a highway, two yep. different neighborhoods, and it's insane. So, and then, like, too, for an example, I guess, like, a political party that has, like, 45% of public favor and three districts um, by which to allocate people could um, essentially ensure that two districts go in its favor. Um, it could put a supermajority of the other party's voters, like, in one district. So, what Ramon was just um, talking about basically can happen. And this is going to be a huge topic next year. Um, because the census is happening now and every 10 years when a census happens, it basically is a time where folks are being counted, um, in, in states, right? So a state like Georgia, we have, um, 16 electoral votes. I think New York has 29 now, um, if I'm not mistaken. Um, yeah, yeah, totally like, so that goes on representation in Congress and um, so like your members in the House of Representatives and your two senators. All of that is based off of population, your congressional seats. New York used to have about 50 something um, electoral votes like back in the, the 1950s and 60s. Yeah. They won the states with the highest electoral votes. But over time, when people move out and the numbers grow smaller, your electoral numbers grow smaller. Um, Georgia is a state that's pretty much uh, on the up and up. Um, we have 16 now. And if the numbers look like what we think they are, we could possibly have one or two congressional seats. Um, and this is very important when you talk about representation of Congress, 
um, when you talk about monies that come to your states for um, different projects and, and things like that. And Ramon can definitely speak to that, right? Like members getting special um, like court and, and whatnot and, and certain bills to go to like post offices or um, research centers, right? Like um, Columbia may want to research themselves, right? And yeah. let's say uh, it's not, um, I can't remember who's the congressman in Harlem. Yeah, Espayat, right? Like he may say, hey, Columbia needs X amount of dollars, you know, I can deliver and get it here. So gerrymandering has like real effects when we, when we start talking about redistricting. So like next year, the New York state legislature, which is controlled by the Democrats, right? They're going to try to maps. And what they're going to do is try to keep maps in favor. They're going to try to make sure they get more seats in the assembly, more seats in the state Senate. Here in Georgia, the Republicans control both, both legislate on um, both houses of the legislature. But the Democrats could take back power in a couple of days. And if so, there would be a good balance of power. If the Republicans remain in power, they're going to draw the seats that favor them. And this could have that, um, like real effects for, for people of color, marginalized and other marginalized communities when it comes to um, certain bills and policies that are, are being, being passed in the state. So. Yeah, I got a question for uh, Greg in regards to gerrymandering um, and the, the effects that it, it can have on people of color, uh, if drawn in a uh, negative light, like, what do you think that uh, with the conversations of, uh, you know, like the police reform and other things that's kind of um, being reimagined, do you think that there's room uh, for the gerrymandering laws to be reimagined? And what would your take on that if you had it? Um, so there are, there's, uh, Eric Holder has, um, an organization right now called the National Democratic Redistricting Committee. And essentially, I, I like this type of plan is when you have independent, um, councils or commissions that determine the districts, right? Because it takes out the partisanship. Since both parties do it, it's just, it's not fair. Um, and there should be independent councils that are made up members of both parties that come that can come to an agreement to make these districts fair um, to voters. Because essentially what politicians are doing is they're picking their voters. Right. And voters aren't being able to pick who they want to represent them. Yeah, um, so it definitely can be reimagined. It just takes legislatures agreeing to it. And some states actually do have independent um, redistricting committees um, to do these things. Yeah. New York is one of them. suppression is any uh, uh, I guess any tool that people in power use to suppress uh, or to, to marginalize uh, folks who aren't like them and so the people in power are the ones who are using these tools um, to benefit them and so historically it's been the white man in power um, who's tools that makes it harder for people who are not like them to go out and vote and to change the uh, dynamics of like 
who's in power, who's in, in power. And, you know, it's about creating a, a method of maintaining their seats at the table without aligning folks to come at the table. Damn, that's real. Sounds scary. It's, it's scary. It's scary. Simply put, and when I'm explaining this to folks, I just say it's really any attempt for people to limit anyone else's right to vote, right? Um, or expand uh, expanding the right to vote, right? So if you are trying to limit or in not trying to expand, then you are suppressing the vote. Um, everyone, no matter of um, their party, no matter of their race, religion, creed, you know, whatever their background is, if they are a citizen of this country, right, and of the state of which they live, they should be allowed to vote. No, that's that's definitely true. And I know there's so many different um, forms of voting suppression. Like, uh, you know, Ramon, I, I know you guys said about the voter uh, ID verification. Uh, have you guys had any experience with that, being that, you know, you've both been in, in the political world, you know, on campaigns? Have you had those type of encounters? Well, I, I can say this, right? So I personally have never experienced it. Thank God. Um, and I hope to never do. But in the space that we do, that I do work in, I, I've seen other people. So quick story after the 2018 election. So I work um, on the Stacey Abrams for governor campaign um, in Georgia. And then after the 2018 election, um, the night of the election, we did not know the results. Um, it was about three o'clock in the morning and we had to figure out what it is next we were going to do. Um, because there were votes that still had not been counted. There were um, high levels of what are called provisional ballots. Um, there were people whose ballots had not been accepted. Some had been rejected um, over um, things like uh, the signature mismatch um, laws and exact match laws that they have here, which are insane. Um, so for 10 days, the election, we essentially went on a ballot chase, right, to make sure that all these people who were calling into the voter protection hotline in the campaign um, were able to get their votes cast because it wasn't about the person anymore and it wasn't about Stacey. It was more so about making sure that people had confidence in the system, right, so that they they saw this person who said, oh, we want to go out there and vote for the first time, right? You had, like, dudes from the hood talking about, man, this is my first time voting. I'm, I'm getting out here to do it, right? And if you leave that type of tape in someone's mouth, they're not going to want to come back and do it again because they're going to say, why? Like, why does it even matter? Last time I came out here, my vote didn't count. So we essentially said, hey, we need to make sure that we restore confidence. So the first thing we did was we sued the state of Georgia and for voting rights violations. That's, that um, lawsuit is still in the court system right now. It sits right now in the um, district court in Georgia. Um, it's a uh, fair fight action versus uh, Raffensperger. Um, and we are trying to cure, uh, um, trying to cure what the state of Georgia has done because they've had a history of voter suppression. Um, next, we formed the organization Fair Fight um, Action because we said, hey, okay, this is not just going to happen in this election, but this could happen in elections that come after. So instead of just trying to make it again about 
the 2018 gubernatorial election, we had to make sure that for posterity, right, like elections would be good. Um, so our first test run in 2019, thank God there were local elections, there were municipal elections that, you know, we got involved in for like uh, council, mayoral races, uh, DA, sheriffs, um, county commission. And it was a good run, right? We got a chance to see how things would look. So we said, okay, there are a lot of, there still are a lot of problems, a lot of kinks and whatnot that we have to work out. And then this year, we were ready for a lot. So we went back to state legislature, which tried to pass um, some really regressive um, um, election laws. So we won that battle. And then when the primary came, you know, we were ready for everything. We had poll observers and poll watchers and basically affiliates all over the state of Georgia, but also in 19 other states around the country, which were full-time protection um, um, teams that um, made sure that people, one, if they had questions about voting, like where they could find a polling location, um, where uh, where they registered the vote. And even if they went to the polls and had a problem, right, um, they can call in because sometimes we see voter suppression and we don't even know it's happening, right? So, for example, a polling a polling location um, would have been at a church, right? But now the county board of elections says, "Oh, we don't want to use the church anymore, but we're going to put this at the local county jail," right? That's a form of intimidation. If you're a person of color, right, that may have like like some little parking tickets, or you ain't paying your child support, or something like that, you might be less inclined to go in there and try to vote because. You don't think they're going to lock you up. Most of Press Ramon mentioned in Florida um, with uh, formerly incarcerated individuals, right? Like, and having to pay to um, to get the right to vote again. That's a form of a poll tax, right? Here in Georgia, the Secretary of State, they said, oh, we're going to mail out all these ballots um, to folks, but they weren't going to pay for postage. That's a form of voter suppression. I have to pay for a postage, right? No, that's a poll tax. So, um, it's just crazy things like that that we've been seeing and whatnot, but we fought back. Then you have these voter purges, right? So another thing they'll do is they will uh, go down this list and start kicking people off the rolls if they haven't voted in a long time. If people don't want to vote, they don't have to vote. You know, I'm I'm an advocate for voting, but I'm also an advocate for for people having like control of their agency, right? To see like, oh, I just don't want to vote, like. These candidates are trash. <laughs> like, I don't see anything here. I'm not going to vote. So people have the right and they should not be kicked off the rolls. That is a form of voter suppression as well. So, yeah, those are just a few examples out of the many. Um, <laughs> that we you kind of touched on a few things in, in terms of just uh, the, the different types of aspects of way people can be suppressed by their vote. And kind of even the mental aspect, you even said, like, just the concept of thinking about, oh, I have to go to jail to vote. And for Dez and Jasmine, what's your, like, how do you kind of see the, the mental aspect side of, like, of, of voter suppression? Yeah, absolutely. Well, Andre touched on it a little bit. Like, obviously, if you have, like, a warrant out or you have, you know, some type of petty crime that you've done, he said it's intimidation and that's exactly what it's doing. It's, it's strategically done to make people... Historically, people of color who are, you know, in the prison system, and that's like a whole different topic, but it's going to make 
our votes suppressed even more because they're not going to want to go to the prison and vote because they're being intimidated. And so, Jazz, what's your thoughts on this? Um, I, I really think the same thing. I feel that I feel like in our community, we're we're suppressed in one in one way because, like you know. Myself, I have um, cousins who are felons who can't vote, who want to vote, but their vote doesn't matter because of their past. And I, and we know that's unfair, but that's the way that the government has set it up so our vote could continue to be suppressed. And now we're here and we can't vote. Can I say something to that too, real quick? So honestly, that's also messed up. And this is why criminal justice reform is also like tied in to election reform there when we talk about um, people who are incarcerated, people who are formerly incarcerated being able to vote. Like, just because you are in jail does not mean you should lose your right to vote. So, Mark, you touched on this reimagination, right, of like public safety, but also of like prisons and voting and, and criminal justice, right? So if you're in jail, this is this is where it is mind-blowing because if you're in jail, there are policies that are literally affecting your day-to-day life, right? Why, why can't you choose the leaders who are basically making those policies? Um, yes, you can, you, can, you can serve your time, right? But you can also not lose your rights. Um, so I think it's like extremely unfair. Um, a lot of people think that's a radical idea, but I don't think so. It's just a very human idea because people should still be treated as individuals, no matter if they've committed a crime. Um, and if people are making policies that directly affect their life, they should have a say in it, no matter where they are. Andre, and you mentioned earlier how back in the day, you know, slaves were considered three-fifths of a person. And I feel like that's still happening just in a different way. Now they're considered criminals and people who are in jails and prisons three-fifths of a person, like, oh, they're good enough to go to prison and jail, but they can't, they're not good enough to vote when they get out after serving the consequences of what they did. It's it's like um, a catch-22. It's like different yeah. forms of, it's basically modern-day slavery, but yeah. No, I, I would say that once you go to jail, it's you're pretty much becoming a slave because they're stri- stripping all of your rights away, everything. And the fact that uh, people that are locked up for crimes that are so minor and still not being able to, to be considered a citizen, even though uh, paying their time, it's that's a real impact on our community. So just like you were saying, uh, uh, just it's like a circle and effect of just like the uh, uh, law reform, especially in our judicial system. And then tying with our with our voting because it's it's a cycle, you know. How many more people can we get into the prison, which strips them of their votes, which which won't allow them to make the changes within the community? And I mean, that Florida is a great example, you know. Yeah. All those I think was, they said it was like one point two million people that 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 um, were arrested, like they were um, were arrested, and then they got the ability back to vote. But then, due to the pop, due to the the fees that some of them that they had, they, uh, a good portion of them wasn't able to vote in that in that election. And, the, and then, the you know, people were you know winning these elections are winning by these small margins because a, a group of people of color wasn't able to vote and make that change, make that difference in, in the community. So I mean, it's it's key. It's, it's all it's, it's 
going to be in a circle. It is. And it's been to go based off of that. And Jazz, I'm sure you can speak on this really quickly, but it goes even deeper than just the voting suppression. I think people of color are just being suppressed, obviously, in general. And so that suppression, like I know for me, unfortunately, I didn't vote in the election that Donald Trump was was elected. And for me, it was because I felt like my voice didn't matter. Obviously, I don't feel that way now. But Jazz, you can speak on this because this is definitely like um, a trauma loop that's happening, the loop of trauma being continued. And so what are your thoughts on, on all this? Well, the first time I voted was to the election of Obama. So during that time, I remember people around me, like who already, you know, already was in the system, doing, already been pretty much, their rights took an array to vote already. So I'm, I'm 18 and I'm sitting here like, wow, you're 18, you can't even vote. So, and I'm like, do my vote even matter? Because if you can't vote, I could vote and you already did what you did and now it's over. Why didn't you come back and vote? Like most people who go to jail, you know, they went through, they go through the process of learning from their mistakes. So I feel, why is it that once you feel you learned your mistake, why is it you can't come back to have a voice? And go back to what I said, like, you know, mentally that affects you. Like your voice is being taken away. The one thing that you think that you have, that you have, you have a voice. Regardless if you want to do it, you don't want to do it, any other opinion that you may have, that's something that you have as a voice. And to get that taken away for one mistake you made in your whole entire life, that's insane. That would that would mess up anyone's mental. Mm-hmm. And how can you move on from that? You know, how can you move on from it if they're constantly re-traumatizing you and telling you the mistake you made in the past defines you today? Like it's just repunishing that person. It's not fair. Yeah, and it goes and it goes beyond voting. Like, you know, you're talking about housing, jobs, anything that, you know, you kind of are are need you need to to do to like get back out there, to get back on your feet, then you're kind of creating um just a barrier for them to do that, right? They can't apply for public housing, they can't get certain jobs. Um and you know, I think that it all plays a part into like, you know, elections, who we vote and who's making these policies um that affect formerly incarcerated folk. Yeah, I just want to kind of just uh, connect some dots because the, the 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 information that you're sharing and you know the whole topic on mental health is that you know we like we took in a, in a previous conversation we talked about people's needs to you know to basically to live to feel safe to you know be sheltered and all of this is kind of you know contribute to somebody's ability to operate and as a you know a, a standing body citizen correct. And so once these things are affected, whether it's through the uh, incarceration to the loss of vote, to then opportunity to not have, you know, um, to have limited, you know, uh, resources to get housing or even job, you know, that, that takes a person, you know, purpose potentially or even ability to, you know, uh, operate or even function. So, I mean, I don't know what this, you know, I don't know how that plays into the mental health, maybe jazz. And uh, Des can speak to that, but I just wanted to kind of emphasize that point on that's what's happening and how this is, this topic is directly connected to mental health and how it's perpetuated through our systems, um, you know, and how we should address that. So I just wanted to, you know, th- make that um, point or connect those dots because my mind is spinning right now. You're definitely connecting dots and it's all done strategically to keep us suppressed and to keep us in survival mode like we talked in the last episode. And it's kind of crazy because... Um, you know, we talked about, I think, the levels of safety and 
like I mentioned in the previous episode, if you're only getting your bare minimum safety net, like you don't even have housing, you cannot go to the next level of safety. We're talking about, you know, uh, Maslow's hierarchy of needs, the basic core human needs. And so it's done strategically, like I said, to keep Black and Latino and Hispanic people um, at the bottom. So, you know what I mean? So, Jazz, what are your thoughts on this? I couldn't agree with you more. That's uh, like, I'm really about to repeat something that you said in a different way. <laughs> like, literally, I feel like who we'll want to vote if you come out of jail and can't find a job? Like, you got you to gotta win what's important here to people, like, our human basic needs that we need. So as a felon, I can't even come out and get a job. So I'm really not thinking about voting when I can't work, I can't provide my family. I can't even get back into the system that is still trying to break me down as I'm trying to do better. Yes. So, of course, voting, voting is not important to them at that point. And can so, I, just yes. to, like, to, to kind of add to that, right? And this is the way I explain it, so especially like family members who have been in jail or just like people who don't really see voting as a thing. And I always tell myself, voting is not magic, right? But it is the best solution we have because we know that silence stems us all. Another thing, too, in regards to that is that, you know, okay, y'all not going to vote, but I'm going to make sure the rest of the family and the rest of the people will vote on y'all behalf because right now, Y'all don't have these rights, so I need to be speaking up for you. So I had a conversation last week um, with uh, one another um, podcast, and we talked about the Black male vote, right? And the way I see it is like Black men have an ego problem right now where they are essentially saying, oh, we need to be spoken to. People need to come and talk about our issues. Well, our issues are essentially connected to all issues, right? Like if there are legislatures that are passing laws that are regressive um, to a woman's right to choose like what she wants to do with her own body. That affects me, right? I have a sister, I have a mother, I have a grandmother, I have an aunt, I have a woman cousin, right? If they are pushing policies that are um, regressive to, um, you know, criminal justice reform, right? Like I got a cousin that got locked up, right? My father <laughs> like spent the majority of my life in prison, right? So why would I not speak up for these people who have lost their right to vote or feel as if they need to be concentrating on something? So those are ways that we can help. It's not magic, but it's a solution, right, to a problem. No, I, I, I definitely agree with that because I, I did hear you say that. Um, I was going to challenge you on that because you were saying how you don't kind of like impose people on voting like who are, who are not inclined to. But it's it's a, it's good to explain to people that by you not voting, it's not a solution. So you, we, we need solutions, right? We, we we need to keep coming up with solutions in order to fix our to fix the problems in our community. And clearly, the people in charge are not. They're clearly their intent is not to do it. So we need to take matters into our own hand and not utilizing our vote, which many uh, you know throughout the history we've worked so hard to get here, like. I feel people. You should. You should want to vote. You should. You should be thinking about your grandparents, your 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 grand. You know, all the people that were prior to you. They worked so hard for us to get here, and now you're taking it for granted. Think about the people who are who, who can't vote. You know, we we really need to come together and understand that it's it's a it's a really a mental thing when people say, "Oh, I'm not going to vote." 
but then they, they say, I don't, I don't know. Why? You don't know? What type of, there's no solution to that. And I think that's, that's what we need to, to start encouraging people who, who are in, inclined to not want to vote, to think about, okay, if you're not going to vote, so what, what is another solution to, to fix the problem? Because, we, you know, just saying, I don't know, is, is not resolving it. And also, Clinton, just to add to what Mark and Jazz said really quick, it's uh, he asked what are the mental um, like repercussions of all of this. And, and Jazz, you mentioned it, but you said it in a different way. It's, it's the mistrust of the system. Why would they care about voting if they just get out of jail because of the people in power who put them in there in the first place? It's a vicious cycle. It's basically the abuse cycle happening with the government and with like the greater society at large. So... It's it's so difficult. If it's not one problem, it's a different problem. And it's there's so many obstacles that people of color are facing in this country, and it goes a lot deeper than voting. But this is one of the topics that I feel like it's so important to talk about because, what, like Clinton said, our voice does matter. No, it, it does, and I, I think the key part is that we people the they always we always hit voting hard around primary election for the president. But we all, we need to start thinking that this is not the most important. This is important, but the local ones is way more important. Way more important. We need to start understanding what our local officials are doing mm. because they are creating the real the, 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 the small changes in the community are going through our local officials. You know, and, and I think that's what we need to start emphasizing more. Like, okay, you know, presidency is just as important, but let's start let's start speaking up. Okay. When the local elections are taking place, like did you did you read? Did you look up the person? Did you did you see what they're in support of? Because that's what we need to start doing. I'm, when I was home, when I took my mom to the voting place, she had no clue. She had, she had no clue. She was like pulling up on the phone for me, telling me who it is. She was like, "Is there a cheat sheet?" I'm like, "Yo, like what? What is this? like? What is going on? Like all that CNN you watching, and you don't know who you yeah. are." <laughs> and if I can emphasize that. And if I can emphasize that, Clint, um, so for me, it's very important that folks come out and vote for local elections, right? Because like, I'm basically a party official, but you know, we're making, uh, sort of the, the platform for what the Democrats in the state are going to be fighting for, right? And so, you know, one of the things that we want to encourage is folks to get involved in their local elections because it is so important. It has more, it, it's, it has more of an impact on your life than the presidential one, right? Because it's, you know, the budget of the city and like how much money are they going to be able to allocate to the Department of Education next year, which your child who now has uh, remote learning might not be able to get a good education. So I think that that's just one good example of what's happening. But then you have the state assembly and the state senate, um, you know, for our state reps here who are going to be looking at a tough budget, right? They're going to be making cuts. It's going to be tough for us here in New York State, but, you know, we're going to have to try and figure this out because, um, I think at the end of the day, it's just like, okay, we're going to be able to work with what we got. Hopefully, you know, we'll be able to come out of this, um, you know, economic situation better, but it's so much more consequential than the presidential election. Um, and, you know, next year we have city council elections. Like I'm already trying to work on some campaigns with candidates who are going to be running on platforms that, you know, I agree with and are going to be helpful to our community. Um, and so it's just like, okay, we need to get more folks involved in this. Um, and more people to come out and vote for these elections. There's something called the Supremacy Clause in the Constitution where the federal government, so whatever laws that Congress enacts are the, the supreme law of the land. Um, states can challenge those laws if they disagree with them. And that's like where the courts come in and whatnot. Yeah. But federal law will always remain supreme. And what is happening right now, um, like 
abortion is a, is a hot topic issue right now, right? And if you've seen over the last couple of years, states are passing these regressive um, abortion laws, Ohio, Georgia, Alabama just passed one of the most restrictive abortion laws in this, in the country, right? And this is a, a concerted strategic effort by these conservative state legislatures and governments and activists and lobbyists and whatnot with one goal in mind. And it is culminating right now with the nomination of Amy Coney Barrett to be on a Supreme Court, right? So these states have been challenging these laws. They're going through the lower court systems, right? And eventually one is going to make it to the Supreme Court and Roe is going to get overturned. But what Congress can do is essentially, if the United States Congress wants to, they can pass a law that protects the right to choose, right? Either through a constitutional amendment or just through legislative, the legislative process. Um, so if Democrats take, uh, well, we expect them to keep the House <laughs> if they, um, you know, take back the Senate and Biden somehow wins the presidency, right? Like they can start to move a lot of these things and this should be on their mind. Um, yeah. um, even more so than like this court packing um, thing that folks have been talking about. Yeah, Dre, you just brought up a really good point. And I think I, think I have two questions for you. You answered one of those questions. First question I have for you guys is like, how, like, how would y'all, um, you know, give advice to anybody listening right now who are, who is dealing with those family members or those friends or people they come in contact with who feel that they they don't their vote doesn't count or you know they don't they're not going to vote uh, because of X, Y, and Z. Um, but I think you answered it for me because you made it personal, right? So it was like, hey, you know, you may have somebody that's incarcerated who doesn't have those rights that's affecting your household and in total, but you still have you still have uh, things that affect you in your life, like abortion, like, you know, public assistance or, you know, things like the streets and the road, the street lights, everything that we live and operate with, making it personal, making it and voting is just one way to, to uh, make your voice heard uh, or to, you know, elect a person who will make your voice heard, right? Um, but my next question for you all is like, how do, how does, how do people get involved locally? Like, what are the first steps? When can they go? Yeah. Um, so for me uh, here in the Bronx, like, you know, one of the best things you can do is contact your local, like Democratic Party office. Um, we have Box County uh, office here. We're also in the a process of starting a political club here in, in my district, um, you know, and it's just like, okay, first you have to know like who's in, in power in, in these local um, seats. Um, you kind of got to get to know them. But for me, uh, again, it's just like stressing, okay, these are the people who you need to contact. Um, I've sort of reached out to like uh, universities and, and, and different institutions in this district where it's like, okay, we're opening this club. We're reaching out to you because if you want to get involved, this is the perfect way to do it. Um, we actually were able to start a, a mutual aid fund during the COVID crisis where we were collecting money. And then with that money, we were able to buy food and supplies to people who needed it um, and contacted us. And, you know, in that process, we've made so many different contacts of like, okay, you know, what else can we do to help you guys? Um, and, you know, one of the things that we're going to be talking about is, okay, local elections, they're going to be coming up next year. You want to be involved. This is how you can do it. Um, but the perfect way to start is look up who is your local, you know, elected and also like your local Democratic Party office. Um, I'm on the nonprofit side, right? So I'm in the private sector right now. Um, and I think we have provided like a multitude of ways for people to get involved, right? By 
saying like, hey, you know, in your in your local county, right? Um, be what we call democracy warriors. So we set up this democracy warrior program, and it's in all counties around the state. Um, you could either grab a response vote. Um, you could be our our voices at the um, local board of elections um, and make sure we're advocating. Um, you could be um, folks who are collecting stories from people who are having issues voting. Um, so you can. Um, be if you're a college student, we set up um, affiliate chapters in colleges and universities. If you're a high school student, we've done the same thing for them. So um, there are multiple ways. Or if you're in another state that's not even Georgia, right? And the nineteen state that we're in, you can be a part of the voter protection team, like in that state, and help folks out to make sure that the right to vote is protected. Um, so, so yeah, and I think it's just very important um, to to realize, like I know Ramon is on. The, the party side, right? But most people are distrustful of parties, um, especially like like black folks, right? Like, man, I'm not trying to be Democrats. I'm definitely not trying to be the Republicans. Like, what other ways? So you see organizations like Movement for Black Lives, right? Or there's another organization called like the Black Futurist Group here in Georgia, um, or the local chapter of BLM, right? Or like the Southern Center. Um, for human rights or the, the NAACP, right? Or like a fair fight. These organizations that are working on the outside to affect policy and try to create change that way. Um, folks can really, you know, lock up with one of those organizations, link up and, and start to make things happen because what they do is I think sometimes the people get caught up in extra party politics. And they don't really understand it, right? And sometimes they feel left out, even though that's not really the case most of the time. Um, but in some places, that is the case. And, you know, this is not a big at party politics, too, because we work very closely with the Democratic Party of Georgia here. But I just know there are certain types of folks that that are in that space. And if you go into somebody from the south side of Atlanta or you go into somebody to bank heads, and you're talking about the Democrats, they're not trying to hear you, right? But if you're going up to them talking about, hey, we want to defund the police, right? And somebody from the Black Lives Matter comes up to them and says, hey, like, we want to defund the police. And then you explain to them what defunding the police is, right? Like, and how that can help their lives, right? So, like, Jazz, I heard you work in social work, right? If we're defunding the police and we, we've taken that money and we, we allocate it, like we can give it to the Department of Social Services or Department of Health, right? Or we can give it to um, other departments that may need those monies. We can we can fund the arts, right? Like and things like that instead of funding the police. I'm personally not a fan of defunding the police. I think the police as a whole should be abolished um, just as a system. But I do understand that. In the political reality, political reality that we have right now, how we can get things done, we gotta take the big steps. But hey, if I have my way, it'll be okay. You know, we're talking about voter suppression, obviously, and this is we're talking about it in subtle ways they do it. But I know when I was watching the debate, the last presidential debate, uh, they were talking about like foreign, um, what is it called, like foreign uh, intrusion into like. The voting and all of that. And so can you guys maybe speak just a little bit on how that happens? Because I'm not very knowledgeable on this kind of stuff. And so I know that we're talking about ballots and like foreign um, 
porn interference within the ballot voting. Can you guys maybe speak to that just a little bit? Yeah. Um, yeah, so what they were discussing was foreign interference, uh, you know, on the U.S. elections from countries like Russia, um, who are trying to find ways to, uh, I guess, confuse folks, I would say, um, you know, to make them think that, you know, something is, is off and, and like that their mail-in ballots aren't working or that they're not, um, you know, they can't trust their, uh, their voting booths. Um, so the disinformation campaign that, that's going on is just basically like, okay, we're going to try and confuse as many people as we can because we want folks to, to not get it and to not, uh, you know, cast a, a good vote. Um, I mean, you, you even had folks, uh, from the other party who were trying to, they put fake, uh, mail-in ballot, uh, drop boxes. Um, and so that was sort of concerning to us that even that they themselves were engaging in this type of action, but, the foreign interference comes from, you know, 2016, where they were talking about Russia. And now you have this uh, Ukrainian, uh, I guess, thing with uh, Hunter Biden. So uh, Vice President Biden's son, where they said he did something. And so all these different things are just trying to, um, you know, get folks who are probably not going to, you know, do as much research or just going off of what's on Facebook so that they can be confused about it. And then they end up deciding to vote for the other guy. Um, so. That's manipulation, basically. Manipulation, yeah. Thank you guys from Ramon and Andre. I definitely appreciate your insights and dropping some, some real gems. Um, I think the, the last thing I kind of just kind of finished with is um, in terms of kind of taking action, what would you recommend to, to people who are listening and uh, who are trying to get involved in the community. Because there's definitely, I think we talked about a lot of people who are not trying to, maybe not as involved or are not into those type of things, but there are people who are out there trying to get involved. So any you know, recommend, recommendations for them to create any type of change in their community? Um, I guess I'll go first. Uh, so yeah, one of the things that I would encourage folks to do um, just to get a little bit more information on who the locals are, but the local electors are, but also um, it's, you know, joining the campaign, talking to folks who are involved. Um, and, you know, I'm sure Andre would say like becoming involved in these nonprofit circles, right? That they're doing the good fight. Um, so for us in this community, like, you know, I was working in this community. I've attended meetings and then I decided that I wanted to run for something because I wanted to have a platform to speak on these issues that was affecting my community. And so, you know, now being here, like I want to encourage other folks to do that. Um, you know, I'm not saying that we should or shouldn't all run for office, but I think that that was one of the things that I decided to take, um, as someone who saw this, you know, I guess it's an opportunity, but also it was just like, okay, my community, they need to kind of, um, figure out, you know, who are these people, what are the bureaucracies and how do we get across it? So I wanted to be able to serve as, you know, this, uh, state committee man, um, to be able to inform my community. Like I'll go around and just talk to folks about who I am what I do. Um, but also like, I try to help them in any, any situation. Um, so, you know, if they would wanted to get more involved, I think that one of the best things they could do is just like, uh, either reach out to like their local party, you know, like I said, uh, the, the democratic office, or just like come to one of the community board meetings to one of the police precinct meetings where we're actually, you know, engaging folks uh, differently. We're trying to tell them like, this is some of the issues that are happening in the community and this is how we can try to resolve them. 
Um, and yeah, I think engaging uh, with the community for us as like, you know, the electives or people who are in an office is trying to like just go above and beyond because um, we have been stagnant in NICOE because like now as a party person or as an elected official, like we've been stagnant in like reaching out to just more than your base um, yeah. and just like saying, okay, like I'm going to talk to people who I've never talked to, but now we need to like make those connections because, you know, this is what I'm here for. Like I'm here to help them. Um, and so I hope that like I can continue doing this type of work um, so that I can, you know, get more people involved and like figure out what they need to do to, to address the needs of the community. Yes. So I, the first thing I'll say is that um, to anyone who's listening right now, there is space and movement. There is space and this for, for, for community. Like, don't ever feel as if you cannot be involved in some way, right? Uh, most people don't have the language um, to articulate, you know, a lot of these things that are going on. So, you know, sometimes we, we turn people off. Or we push them away when we start using fancy language and fancy terms. Um, I think it's very important to make this plain, right? So, you know, when we're talking about defunding like police or if we're talking about, you know, reproductive justice or we're talking about voter suppression, it's always good to have like conversations that make it extremely plain for folks, right? You should always feel as if you're talking to like a third grader and that's not belittling anyone or trying to make it seem as if they're dumb. It's like, no, I want you to, to know what's happening, right? And then I want you to know how we can um, take uh, steps to uh, make these things better. So I always want people that there's space and, and movement, there's space and community for everyone to have a voice, to be seen, to be heard, um, and to know that they can like make effective change. So one of the first things I always say is make sure you educate yourself, right? If there are folks that aren't educating you, educate yourself on a particular movement. Um, second thing I would say is, you know, work on your own habits and beliefs, right? You know, in some people's work to be an ally and an activist, there is this uh, battle towards unlearning the system, right? Um, to get to this, what's called like a Bahala of social justice. Um, research local, like the local presence, right? Um, and like what's going on, like in your community. Um, take action in your community, right? Um, you know, get out there in the protests, right? Learn who's some of these people who are putting on the protests, right? Um, figure out other ways you can get involved. And if you don't like the way those protests are, are happening, like you protest, right? Like yourself. Um, your social media, I think social media is a powerful, powerful tool, man. Every day on the gram, on Twitter, on Facebook, I'm learning like so much, right? There um, are incredible um, accounts that are just filled with all this knowledge about, you know, topics that I'm not really, you know, um, uh, really that good at, right? So uh, I wasn't, you know, uh, big on, you know, mental health issues, right? But I've learned so much and how they're connected to to other issues, right? How they're connected to voting, how they're connected to criminal justice reform, how it's connected to housing and how it's connected to family and community, right? Like these are all important things. So I'm a big fan of people using their platform. I wouldn't have known about what SARS is if like one of my, like one of my um, fraternity brothers didn't, you know, start posting about this. Um, 
a few weeks ago and I was like, what is this? You know, I knew about SARS as the the uh the other COVID, right? The other COVID related disease, right? But then I'm like, oh wow, this is happening in Nigeria and social media and internet really connects us globally to know that we are in community and we are global citizens as well, because just like there's police brutality in Atlanta, just like there's police brutality in New York, just like there's police brutality in Oakland and LA, right? There's police brutality in um, Lagos, right? There's police brutality in, um, in Ghana. There's police brutality in Paris, right? Like all around the world, this is happening. And, you know, black people, brown people, um, Asian American Pacific Islanders, right, are subject to the brutalization of the state. And I think social media has just been such a great tool to show, wow, like we can learn like all of these things. So use it, right? Even if it's just sharing an article or sharing a post or something, you may be reaching someone who you don't even know. So I'm always appreciative of folks who, who are doing those things. Um, volunteer your time, you know, get to whoever you can, be an activist, get out there and help volunteer, do whatever you can. You know, you don't have to lead the movement. You don't have to be the voice of it. But if you are, you know, out there helping make signs, right? If you're a lawyer, right? You can stand out there and observe and make sure that people's rights are being protected and police aren't overstepping their bounds as people are peacefully protesting. Or even if they're not peacefully protesting, that they're still being treated with dignity and humanity. Um, what else? Uh, I'm trying to think. Oh, donate to an impactful organization, right? So there are great organizations that are out there that are doing work and they need the funding to make sure they stay afloat and to, you know, do the work of the community, right? So if you get five bucks, if you can get 10 bucks, true. If you got, if you got like that, you can donate a thousand dollars, right? Like, or, you know, like, oh, um, you know, I, I just, some folks like Clinton working for the big money organization. So <laughs> if, you can, if you can do things like that, man, definitely um, go out and donate um, to organizations. So those are just the things that come to mind when I um, think about ways for, for people to, to help and to get involved. Um, but yeah, one thing I, I always want to emphasize is to make it plain. Like everyone should be able to understand what is going on, and then everyone should always feel like they have a place and movement because, you know, we talked about the 50s and 60s and people were always excluded. It was men who were leading, who were dictating, who were out there. But look at who's leading the movement now, Black women, queer folk, right? Like um, people who were often forced to the backgrounds and in the shadows are now the forefront of the movement. And I think where we are better as a people, we are better as a community, we are better as a country when we are um, we are inclusive of all people, right? And all marginalized people. And the way we should be thinking about getting a liberation is who is at the, the bottom? Who's at the bottom of the bottom of society, right? If we can leave from a place of thinking about them and what society looks like if they are included, then we, we're going to be a better country for it. So. That's just my advice for folks. Ramon and Andre, where can people find you in case they wanted more information about this? Yeah, you can follow me on a gram. Um, I'm usually posting stuff on, you know, on a gram um, at Andre Duane, A-N-D-R-E-D-U-A-N-E underscore. Um, I'm on Twitter too, at 80 Fields. Um, so, yeah, 
Um, I usually do more on, on Instagram in terms of um, posting content and whatnot. And I'm also working on a project called the Rustin Project. It's in honor of the late, great um, Bayard Rustin, who is a civil rights activist. Um, he Basically, we hear about Martin Luther King all the time, but Rustin was the brains behind the operation. He organized the original March on Washington, and you know he's been sort of erased from history. So right now, I'm working on an honorary project for him, and I'm going to start posting a lot more content um, on not just Rustin, but you know things that are are, are connected to movement. So definitely um, follow me on the gram. I'll be posting more, more of that coming soon. And yeah. thanks, y'all, for ha- having us today. And uh, it's, yeah, for me, Instagram, Twitter, uh, Ramon Cabral, NYC, R-A-M-O-N-C-A-B-R-A-L-N-Y-C. Um, yeah, and, you know, i trying to get more, uh, I guess, social on social media, right? Because I, I, I've i tended to, like, not be uh, posting about, you know, things I'm doing, things I'm working on. But, you know, I, I post anything and everything, right? I'm just creating content and putting it out, putting it out there, whatever sticks, sticks, um, like, Folks uh, would love, uh, you know, give me 200 likes for my puppy picture versus like where I'm posting more informational stuff and they just give me 40 likes. But, you know, I- I'm trying to just put it out there, like, you know, um, and engaging with folks as much as I can. I definitely want to thank both of y'all for, for being a part of this, you know, conversations of color. We, we just really trying to serve as a place where people can just be really educated, informed, and, and learn about different aspects. So, you know, having you both on here from different points of views, different sides, really, uh, really gave some good insight today. And uh, I, I really hope, you know, whoever's listening, able to take just at least one thing away, you know, and I think that's that's what our initiative is, to, to build a, a stronger community and provide people, uh, so encourage people to, to create solutions for them, for them or, or, you know, just, just a safe space. <laughs> if I could just add too, you know, you, you, all of your all of your input today, I, I think it kind of allows people to have a positive out outlook or even activity on how to uh, better their situations uh, when it comes to mental health, um, and you know, not just be a person who receives, but who also contributes to the betterment of the mental health of others. And also, everyone do your own research. Take some of these concepts that we talked about. Maybe things we didn't talk about, like, for example, electoral vote, what that means. Do your own research, educate yourself, and, and this is how, you know, we change the world. And make sure you vote. We need everyone to vote. I'm voting this week, too.